Hello and welcome to Hot Girls with me, Lex on the Decks. This is the show where we explore the mechanics of the music industry through intimate conversations on creativity and through biographical explorations of the lives of some really iconic artists. This is the first biography episode of season three and I wanted to open up by looking in depth at an artist who arrived on the scene with one of the loudest and most unconventional hits I can think of. Since her debut single, she spent more than 20 years at the top of her game, consistently pushing music forwards and defying expectations of what it means to be a black female artist. Her first album was exclusively produced by the Neptunes, and since then she's put out a new album every three to four years. I'm talking about Talise, and I'm going to say up front that I friggin' love her. Uh, you may have heard that in last week's interview with Rachel Fox, who opened up for her once. Kalise is just a straight-up badass, in my opinion. She's a creator and a professional, an artist who did not ever conform to this pop star ideal. She was and still is very much her own person, causing much confusion and a little infamy. She's almost like an indie star who made it mainstream and made that indie weirdness cool. Kalise, in my opinion, is evidence that you can be a marketing nightmare and still be very successful. ID Magazine recently described her as perpetually misunderstood, and I'm hoping over the next 15 minutes or so, you'll start to understand her a little bit better. This is a lesson in expression by Kalise. Ladies, gentlemen, listen up. You're listening to Hot Girls. With Lex on the deck. We in the mix. It's fire. Keep it going. We on fire. From London for the world. Let's go in. With a Chinese Puerto Rican mother and an African-American father, Kalise was born with a unique and magical fusion of heritages. Raised in Harlem, she first began singing in church. Her family were religious, and this was something that she embraced and has continued to embrace throughout her life and career. This trust in higher power is very consistent in all the artists I've explored. And I believe that having a strong faith gives you more resilience because when shit gets thrown at you, your faith kind of shields you. You can lean on it and believe that if you focus and keep working, you can go beyond whatever the key challenge you're facing is. Very few successful musicians and artists are atheists. As well as through church, Kalise was introduced to jazz clubs by her parents. She said in an interview, I grew up hanging out in jazz clubs, falling asleep there with people stepping over me because that's where my parents were, so they just took me. Her dad was a jazz musician and her mom was a fashion designer, so it was an artistic household she grew up in and they supported her ambitions, helping her transition from a regular people's school to a fancy performing arts school. Ooh. Kalise went to the LaGuardia High School of Music and Art and Performing Arts, where she studied theatre. This is the same school that gave us Nicki Minaj, Jennifer Aniston, Timothy Chalamet and a whole load of other known celeb names. I get the sense it's a little bit like the Brit School of New York, now, obviously, going to a school like that in no way guarantees you're going to graduate and land a recording contract. But what I think it does do is, A, make you believe that that is a possibility, and B, give you a head start in understanding how that process works, as well as giving you actual lessons in what it means to be a successful entertainer, which is something I think takes most people a long time to figure out. Kalise was a rebel from day dot, and she moved out of her family home age 16 into an apartment on her own. She had a brief stint in a girls' group, but I think if I've learned anything about Kalise over the past few weeks, it's that she was never going to work in a girl group. Through that work, though, she was then introduced to Pharrell Williams, who she performed a version of the Fugees Killing Me Softly for in a stairwell, and that's when they first started to work together. 
I can imagine the acoustics were phenomenal. They created a couple of demo songs, and after a little bit of a hustle, she was signed to Virgin Records in 1998, aged 18. Khalees, Chad, and Pharrell headed to a house in Virginia, completely, wonderfully naive to any sense of the music they were supposed to make, and they just got creative. I already had people I was working with, and they didn't need a female singer, and when we met, it was like, wow. Virginia, where they bunkered down in Chad's parents' home, was at that time a very expressive and creative place. I don't know what it's like now, maybe the same, but that's where Missy and Timbaland were also developing their early music. So individuality was definitely in the air. The three of them were left to their own devices and they treated sessions like a day job, recording from 10am to 3pm. Here's a little snippet of Khalees talking about how they approach the sessions and the writing process. You know, every day for all is a new concept or I have a new idea or Chad has a new melody or whatever. You know what I mean? The beauty of it is that the three of us work really well together. So there are no rules and there are no guidelines and there is no format. It's really just like whatever it is. The most concrete thing I can tell you is that we work on each song about a day and a half. And that's it. The album which came out of those one a day focuses was Kaleidoscope, created almost entirely by those three people and released in 1999. The title track from that release was caught out there, which is the, I hate you so much right now. And it was such a bold, brave record that it took Khalees literally firing out the gate. It's hard to believe looking at the video that she was only 20 when she was touring this record because it's such a confident use of expression and emotions. I can understand that you feel those emotions at that age, but to actually have the self-belief to articulate them with such confidence is really impressive, I think. The album was one of her lowest charting albums, but has had a longevity that's seen it go on to be certified gold and kind of build up this acclaim and icon-like status since then. The lead singles overall garnered more attention than the album, with Caught Out There getting to number four in the UK charts. She uh, she came over, she was on Jules Holland, she did Top of the Pops, I believe, and she was just embraced generally more in Europe and the UK than she was in the States. Represent! Uh, and she's joked in interviews that at that time, it was her and Macy Gray who were like the only out there black women touring in Europe. They'd see each other and, and be like, oh, hey, the other one. Nice to have, nice to have you here. I toured. I always toured. There was years where, like, me and Macy Gray were the only black artists in Europe. There were none other. Like, it was me and everybody like, hey, girl. Like, I'm just, like, so glad to see you. For her second album, she regrouped with Pharrell and Chad of the Neptunes and created Wonderland, spelt with an A, not an O, for a reason unbeknownst to me. That album was only released in Europe and didn't get anything like the raw and tongue-wagging of Kaleidoscope. It was released in 2001, also under Virgin Records, but after that, Khalees parted ways with the label and signed to a new label founded by the Neptunes and called Star Trek. So if you're an artist and your second album hasn't gone very well for you, don't worry, it didn't for Pharrell and Khalees either. Moving swiftly on to her next album, which was much more famous than Wonderland, but also saw the breakup of Khalees and the Neptunes, which is the first bit of media goth. I want to tackle. Kalisa's third album was called Tasty and it was her biggest selling album ever and is one of those classic albums, I think. In an upcoming episode with singer Bella, she talks about that ambition to deliver iconic classic albums and I'd say this album is one of those. The lead single from the album was Milkshake with that signature Pharrell 4B intro do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do and then in. That is so recognisable. And 
Lyrics which confused everyone. I remember someone at school telling me that Khalees used to be a prostitute and it was about selling sex. Well, I can now say that Khalees did not work in the sex industry, but yeah, everyone was obsessed with that song. Warm it up. Khalees actually had a year-long battle with her label to let that be the lead single, which, as I understand it, was part of what led to the album being released by Star Trek. As well as Milkshake, the album had Trick Me, Millionaire featuring Andre 3000, Sugar Honey Iced Tea, and In Public featuring Nas. More to say on that relationship coming up. Unfortunately, this was the last time that Khalees worked with Chad and Pharrell of the Neptunes, and it was widely reported that they had a big falling out due to money. When she joined the label, as Khalees tells it, it felt like she was leaving Virgin to go and make music with her good friends and longtime collaborators. She signed up to it thinking, and I quote, This is what it is. This is fun. It was supposed to mean something. And then to find out later it meant nothing. And it was just the same old rhetoric and rigmarole that we're always hearing about. That it was essentially a modern day Motown. Yeah, you're friggin' amazing and you're talented and interesting. And you have nothing because you didn't know how to ask for anything. So basically, she didn't grill the paperwork when she signed, accepted it as a collaborative effort and expected that the profits would be split equally. um, So she would get 33%. But she was wrong. She got significantly less than that. So like not a lot at all, despite being the lead singer, writer, face and star of the album. So make of that what you will. One thing I have learned is that great music is usually the result of great partnerships rather than great individuals. But take a lesson from Khalees that you always need to look out for yourself when it comes to the business side of things, because there's multiple people that you can partner with to create those great partnerships. And just because your collaborators feel like your friends, when it comes to business and industry, it can unfortunately be every man for himself. And Khalees sees that much of her fight for ownership has been against men. Specifically, you haven't wanted her to get what she deserves. And for that, she's pissed off. In 2006, Khalees worked with a whole different group of producers and released her highest charting album ever under Jive Records called Khalees Was Here. It had an evolved and beautifully diverse sound to it, summarised best, I think, by the fact that the album delivered both Bossy, an iconic tune, and Lil Star with CeeLo Green, a much sweeter, softer, more emotional song. In Bossy, she references how she arrived on the scene with Court Out There saying, I'm the first girl to scream on the track. Bossy to me was her showing up exactly in her full power without anyone else taking credit for their roles and her success. She was a creative executive of her own music. I'm now going to talk about something key in Kalisa's life, which had a huge influence on the album which came in 2010 called Fleshtone. So you may or may not know, depending on how clued up you are to hip-hop gossip, that Kalisa was married to rapper Nas, often considered one of the best rappers of all time, unarguably one of the most successful when it comes to record sales and fame. The pair married after her second album, before Tasty, when Kalisa was about 24, so very young. Nas was a bit older, about 30, and they had nothing short of a crazy relationship. Very intense, very passionate, and ultimately very, very toxic. The media was fascinated by the relationship and the breakup, but Khalees said absolutely nothing about it until eight years after they got divorced. So for the whole period up until then, Nas controlled the public perception of what not just their relationship was like, but in many ways what Khalees was like. And how did he cast her? Well, crazy, of course, because crazy is often the default way women are talked about after they leave men who 
or who were driven to heartbreak by bad behavior. Because Khalees was so young when she married him, her attraction to Nas sounds to me like he was that not good boyfriend a lot of people need to get out of their system. What's clear is that it was a relationship of extreme highs and lows. She said that what she didn't know when she married him was that love wasn't enough. That yes, she loved him, but no, he was not a good person. That was the straw that broke the camel's back, but that that wasn't it. I didn't file for divorce because he cheated. He, he'd been cheating for two years and I knew that. Mm. It was because on top of all the other stuff, then you're going to cheat? Okay, this is too much. Mm-hmm. Like, this is too much. And then it was really, it was really toxic. And, and I was pregnant. And so at, you know, seven months pregnant, I was terrified. I was like, I cannot bring a person into this. This is a freaking mess. Mm. Like, this is a mess. And Wait. I can't control this. I got to get out. So you left while you were pregnant? Yeah. I filed for divorce in April um, and Knight was born in July. Khalees left Nas when she was seven months pregnant. I mean, how absolutely terrifying. And the thing that was the trigger for her was seeing Rihanna after she'd had that infamous car fight with Chris Brown, which turned into her being seriously beaten. At that point, when the pictures of Rihanna's swollen face were emerging on the news, Khalees was sat at home with bruises all over her body from Nas. To his credit, I will say this, and I, I mean this from the bottom of my heart, that man is, to this day, is exactly the man I married. Mm-hmm. He has not changed, not one iota. I changed. So for that, that was my, I grew up. Mm-hmm. I was 22 when I met him. What you take at 22 and what you take at 28 are very different. I don't think he expected her to leave. And she has since gone on to remarry and is in a much healthier relationship. But what I think is quite interesting to see is the different ways that they've processed that divorce. And it looks like Nas has never really gotten over it and has still loads and loads of issues around it. And Kalisa just moved her life forward. But yet the media portrayal is very much around her demanding money. And when you um, when you hear things from her perspective, it's quite clear that she's not really demanding anything except for very, very basic, minimal child support. So the lesson from this relationship is don't marry a narcissist, no matter how much you love them. You can be a superstar and still be emotionally and physically battered by a relationship. And if you're in that situation, get out and your life will improve. And you might get to love again. Her next album came from a necessity. Called Flesh Tone, she seemed to find it quite a tough album to make because she was in such a confused space and for the first time suddenly really needed money and stability as she was now a single mother. The enduring track from it, for me, is a cappella. But what I love most about this album is that through it, she transitioned into a different musical world. She worked with Diplo, David Guetta, Benny Benassi, really well-known electronic music producers, and she started to penetrate a different space with her music. I think the fact that she was a black woman doing this makes it even more iconic. If you listen to my conversation with Ultranate or have looked much into the history of house music... It came out of black spaces. Lots of black women were the original pioneers of that genre and style, but it's the white men we tend to think of as fronting it. Music, I've been doing it for so long. I just like do something else, challenge mm-hmm. myself. You know, mm-hmm. so I went and 
It was one of the best things I ever did. I had a great time. Was part of it having a son and being like, okay, I want to, you know, cook all the time for my son too? Well, I didn't have him yet. I went before I had him. Okay. Um, but now, yeah, it's great because, mm-hmm. I mean, well, he still doesn't really want to eat <laughs> everything I want him to eat, but, you know, he's four, so that's normal. <laughs> Are you like a spicy type of person? I love or? spicy. Okay. Yeah, I love spicy for sure. There you heard Khalees talking about her other great love outside of music, which is food. If you follow Khalees on social channels, they are now really dominated by food. She absolutely loves the stuff. She actually studied at the world-famous Cordon Bleu Culinary School and has gone on to launch her own brands of sauces. Food for her, as an album, feels like something she got to really have fun with in a time of her life where the crazy had kind of settled down. She was happily married with two healthy, beautiful children And she brought together her two creative worlds to deliver something wholly different and that only Khalees could do. She also released a cookbook in 2015. The final musical thing I want to touch on in regards to Khalees is some of her key features, because she's had some great ones. Working in reverse chronology, this year she was on the first track on Disclosure's new album with the single Watch Your Step. In 2017, she was the female voice on the song, Do It Like Me. But you can't do it like me, that song. I hope you've enjoyed the singing through this episode. I think it's really, it's really delivered something extra. In 2015, she sung on one of my favourite hidden songs. You know when you absolutely love a song, but you've never heard anyone else play it or even talk about it. So I'm wondering if any of you listening know the song Back and Forth by Giorgio Moroder. It's so camp and I am so here for it. I think it's a banger really hits me. Uh, She also worked with Calvin Harris in 2011 on Bounce. And in 2006, she was the soft singer on Busta Rhymes's I love my lady, yep, yep, I love my chick. And finally, in 1999, way back when, she is the singer on Baby, I got your money, don't you worry. She's featured on many other tracks, but those are the key ones I wanted to call out. Okay, so some final key takeouts and observations on Khalees then. Firstly, She's point-blank refused to be conventional, and she's been able to deliver high enough calibre songs that has meant she's still had commercial success in spite of this. But more over a long, slow burn with occasional spikes. She says she knows that people are unlikely to like her music until two years after it's been released. Kelly says, music is selfish, and it should be. I make music for me. The second lesson from Khalees is about knowing the industry you're in, but not being defined by it. Khalees genuinely doesn't give a shit. I think occasionally she gets annoyed by stuff when it's misinterpreted or presented really wrong, but she's generally quite accepting that this is always going to be the case, and so separates her actual world from that. She knows she is not other people's perception, and only really gets involved with being a celebrity as such when she needs to do promotion for an album project. The rest of the time is family or friends time. And the final lesson I really took from her journey and what I was going to call this episode is around that narrative of the angry black woman. Khalees is often portrayed as this ratchet, crazy bitch. And I think part of that, she's kind of sassy, but she's not irrationally angry or a sensitive person. Far from it. Khalees, your legacy is your music and your children. And both are beautiful. Thanks, Queen. And thanks to all of you for tuning into this first biography episode of Hot Girls. Next week, I am joined by the UK Queen of Dancehall, Alakai Harley, 
Let's talk about her journey. And then the next biography episode will be an OG rap lady, Queen Latifah. Stay safe, stay creative, and have a good week, everyone. What up, Lex?